Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. It's not about me I'm only here for a minute And I know that I can't fix it I can help even just a little bit Won't you let me try How are you, Scott? I'm good, how are you? Oh, fine and dandy, ready for another exciting Blackhawks game tonight. <laughs> you know, I feel bad, you know, I I, I, I I just caught up on the Drew Doughty news that he's going to miss the rest of the season. I feel so bad for the guy. Like, I remember talking to him way back at the player tour in September, and he was so adamant that, you know, like, the rebuild is over. Screw this shit. We're going to go out, and we're going to be good this year. We're going to make the playoffs. I'm done with this. And here they are, and they're, like, on the verge of it, and he's out for the rest of the season. I feel bad for that guy. You know, it's interesting because, like, the whole thing with the, the Kings is they're kind of, like, in the same situation as the Blackhawks where they've got these veteran core guys. You've got Dowdy. You've got Kopitar. You've got um, Dustin Brown. And they're just sitting around their prime years waiting to get back to, to, to you know, contention. And, you know, they're finally on the upswing here. And you wonder, like, just how far away the Blackhawks are compared to them. Yeah, no, I, I think the Blackhawks are very far from where the Kings are at. So um, it'll be uh... – yeah, I think it could be a long wait for where. Uh, yeah, Los Angeles has done this pretty quickly. I don't think anyone anticipated them to kind of turn this around. Obviously, they made some moves, you know. And so when you look at the prospects, even like some of the guys that they they drafted. I mean, Turcotte's not even part of it, and um, you know, a couple of the guys are. But it, it feels like it's been the moves on top of you know keeping some of the veterans, and then um, yeah, everything's kind of clicked in place for them. And, and not even having the draft picks, they have you know they obviously went through kind of a rebuild in one way, but then. I mean, those guys aren't even a big, big part of this right now. Well, that's what's interesting about it is, you know, they, 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 their, their, their run of dominance kind of coincided with the Blackhawks. They traded Stanley Cups 12, 13, 14, and 15. But, you know, they hit bottom faster than the Blackhawks. I think, you know, Corey Crawford and Robin Leonard masked a lot of the problems for a little while there and kind of extended it a little bit. But, you know, th- this is a team that the, the Kings haven't won a playoff series since 2014 Stanley Cup final. The Blackhawks haven't won one since the 2015 Stanley Cup final. So, I mean, it's taken the Kings a long time to get back here. They've had two very brief playoff appearances. Uh, I think they won one game in two series, two first-round losses in like uh, 16 and 18, I want to say. So, I mean, they've been down for a long time. So, I mean, it, it's you know, I, I, it could be kind of a, you know, this is where the Blackhawks are as of like a year ago now. So we could be looking at three, four, five years to get them back to just where the Kings are, which is just on the periphery of the playoff position. So, uh, so things are great in Chicago is what I'm saying. Uh, so the way this works is if someone wants to chat with us, there's there's a chat part and we can answer questions there. 
uh, if you go in the audience part, we can actually uh, bring you into the conversation and, and take questions. So um, this is our, I think, our second one we've done of this. So we're still, it's been, it felt like it, we did, did this a while ago. So it's been a few months. So we did our first one. Probably should have found some time to do it in between. But um, yeah, so if, if anyone wants to join in, feel free to hop in and we'll include you. And then if you just want to write out a question, feel free to jump in the conversation. And um, you know, we uh, we didn't bring a whole lot to the table today. We just kind of uh, thought we'd let the listeners kind of direct us where you guys want us to talk today. Little little behind the scenes, basically every single day, Scott and I are in Slack going, "What the hell are we going to write about today that people might actually want to read about this team right now?" Because you know, it did like like the Dallas game the other day was a hugely important game for Dallas. Tonight's game is a hugely important game for LA, but they are utterly meaningless to the Blackhawks, who probably don't even have a first round pick this year, and this, they really can't do a whole lot to get better odds at that one or two slot than they do right now. Um, so uh, it, it's, it's, it's these, these, what is it? Uh, the last 10 games in 18 days, something like that. There's going to be a lot of exciting, meaningless hockey to get to. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Jeffrey L uh, jumped into the chat. He wants to know who is the new core for the next five years. Scott, you want to take a swing at that? Sure. Um, I, I think the bring kids, like it starts with the bring kids and Seth Jones. And then from there, it's, there are a lot of questions, right? Like it, it I guess we'll have a better idea about Kane and Taves maybe this summer or, or, um, you know, better idea over the next year where those guys are in the picture. Um, I, I would think Reichel, um, outside of that, it, it's, it's really up in the air. Like I, even today writing about Ethan Bell Mastro, like that, you know, there's a lot of, def- like Regula's been playing really well in Rocker, but is he, is he, is he a guy that's going to click in NHL? I don't know. I, um, I, yeah, I, I thought Hagel was part of it. So like certainly things are changing quickly here too. Um, yeah, Reichel feels like it, and and Brinkett and Seth Jones just because of his contract. Um, you know, McCabe and Connor Murphy just based on their contracts too. Um, uh, but beyond that, yeah, there, there's so much going to be in flux here too. It just it's, um, you know, I guess Taylor Radish. You know, he, he, they have him signed for a couple of years. See, and you know, is he just a stopgap or someone they see? I, I feel like the whole team is just it's. Yeah, I, I don't know where this team's going in the next years, and I. I I tend to still think the Blackhawks, you know, Kyle Davidson wouldn't mind if this is a bad team and they, and they, you know, like they sort of play like they are now, you know, like I, I think we'll have a better idea where they, where they sign that goaltender this summer or, or whether, you know, re-sign Lincoln in, um, you know, Soderblom's been pretty good in Rockford, but when he, whenever he's played in, in the NHL, like it's only been a few games, but um, it might take him a minute. So maybe Soderblom or, um, you know, Drew Camaso and, you know, they, they like, they like some of these young goalies, but none of these guys are exactly ready to. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's. Uh, I, I think there's only a few guys that I could I could pinpoint and, and say you know these guys will be here in, in three, four, five years or even in a couple of years. What uh, what about you? Well, I, a lot of the guys you mentioned are possibility. I think everyone looks at Debrinket and Doc and Reichel, but the one that's curious for me is is Patrick Kane because there's no reason that Patrick Kane won't still be really good in three or four years. The question is, is he still going to be really good in Chicago? Part of that's going to be up to him. Part of that's going to be up to Kyle Davidson what they want to do here. Uh, his contract, his next deal, or whether they decide to trade him or not, affects everything. It, it affects the money. It affects the, the the ticket revenue. It affects you know the ability to to compete because he's still really good. He's still an all world player, and he's 33 years old. He's going to be 34 in November, but his game is designed to not fall off a cliff like so many other veteran players do. He's going to be really good. He can still be a part of the core with. Lucas Reichel, which is amazing because Lucas Reichel is like 14 years younger than he is, but that's how good he is. 
It's just a matter of whether the Blackhawks want to give out another $10 million a year contract, whether Patrick Kane wants to stick around for another few more years of rebuilding or if he wants to go chase a cup. So much depends on what Patrick Kane decides and what his fate is that it's really hard to say because he could still be very much part of the core here. Yeah. Uh, so we got a couple of people into the waiting room. Let's uh, let's take a first question from Max K. Well, Max K is gone. Uh, from Nick uh, Nick S. What do you guys think of Kevin Lakinen and why he regressed so hard this year? Could it have been because he was behind a future Hall of Famer and Mark Andre Fleury for most of the season? I think we all saw a, a, a potentially really good goalie last season with Kevin Lakinen when he was the number one guy and he was starting regularly and. He, you know, he struggled with a couple of injuries this year, and he didn't he didn't seem very well suited to the backup role where he was going to be playing, you know, once every week and a half with Flurry getting the bulk of the start. So when Flurry was traded, we're like, all right, well, here's Lankinen's chance to shine. And he hasn't been good. He's had a couple of good games, but he, he looks lost a lot. He's losing his net all the time. He's scrambling back there. You know, you think back to, like, what made Corey Crawford such a good goalie is that he never looked like he was working that hard, right? He was always in good position. He always saw the puck well. Every puck just kind of absorbed into him, and he never gave up those big, juicy rebounds. And you look at Lankinen in that last game against Dallas, and he was flopping around like a fish, only he's not Dominic Hasek. So it wasn't working for him. He was losing the net. He was way out. He was being pulled left and right. He was you know, flailing about. Every puck that hit him would bounce like 10 feet off him for these big, juicy rebounds. I don't know what's the real Kevin Lankin in, but he's had a real opportunity here since the trade deadline, and he hasn't done a lot with it. And the Blackhawks have no goalies for next year. They don't have anyone set in stone for next year. Lankin doesn't have a contract, and I'm not sure he gets one at this point. And he was supposed to be the guy. He was supposed to be the guy that was going to be the bridge to, you know, like a Drew Camesso type. And I'm not sure the Blackhawks see him that way. They might be better off going out and getting, you know, some random veteran for $2 million a year. But maybe they, like Scott keeps saying, maybe they just want to lose and Lankin the guy. I don't know. Uh, he's been underwhelming and has been disappointing because I think they had higher expectations for him. Yeah, I, I think when you look at even just last season, I mean, he, he finished with a 909 save percentage. Like he had his games where he was really good and he kept them in a lot of games. But I, I think I think it almost makes you appreciate what Leonard and Crawford were doing with these sort of teams where they were giving up so many chances and still among the league's best in save percentage, you know, like um, and even Fleury, like the save percentage wasn't great when he left Chicago. Like it was. Um, he had great games and he certainly carried the Blackhawks, but it, it just, it speaks to how, how difficult it is to play consistently when, when, you know, when, when they're playing that type of hockey. And, and honestly, defensively, they've been better this season than, than recent years. But yeah, I, I don't know what they do. I, I, again, I, I tend to think the Blackhawks aren't, um, you know, like the, they'd like to lose and, and maybe bringing Lincoln back and, and whomever to back him up or, or, or have Lincoln be the number two. And yeah, I, I'm really curious because I think that, I, I think the Strome move is going to dictate a little bit. Um, of how people feel about this rebuild and maybe how Kane and Taves are looking at this even more. Like, Hagel certainly opened up some eyes, but um, depending on who you bring in, in net, like, you have some money. You could probably, like, from what I, you know, just glanced at, there seems, seems to be some decent goaltenders coming available. Like, you could get a couple guys that could hold their own. Um, but yeah, I, I it's, um, yeah, Lincoln, and given this opportunity down the stretch here, too, like, he, he's done nothing to secure it or, or make the Blackhawks feel any better about. Um, maybe, you know, maybe he's a guy who signs for a couple of years, but, you know, as of right now, it's hard to see him envision him to be the long-term guy. Um, it just, uh, yeah, the inconsistency is just, uh, it's been there for too much. Yeah. I mean, you could, you know, Kyle Davis could certainly get away with saying, no, we still believe in Kevin Lankin and we want to give him a one more year. And also 
un, in, un, you know, speaking under his breath, say, and if he sucks, well, we have a better chance at Connor Bedard. So maybe that's how it plays out. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Let's go back to the audience. Uh, Carl S. Go right ahead. Um, I just had a question. I can remember when we let Hosa go, when we traded his contract, and they talked about someday he'd probably be back with the Hawk organization. And I just always thought he would make a really good head coach. And I didn't, I don't know how often coaches go like right into head coach or he'd have to coach somewhere else first and get some experience or if maybe he's been doing that. But what do you guys think about him being a head coach someday? Um, he, he chose to stay in Slovakia and, you know, he's got, he's had opportunities to coach with, with uh, team Slovakia, the national team or do stuff from stuff with them. Um, so I, I think part of it's that he's, he's comfortable in retirement. He's doing some stuff. He, he actually has like a, a food company, uh, back home in Slovakia that he's been pretty involved with. And he, he's been doing some other things. And, it's, and it sounds like he likes retirement life a little bit. Um, but I, I, I expect that he's going to join the Blackhawks in some capacity. You know, he mentioned that he's working on something. Um, you know, from what I've heard, it, it's, it's probably, um, you know, it's beyond an ambassador job where I think he wants to be a little bit more involved, but, um, you know, maybe come over here occasionally, but I, it doesn't sound like he wants to get into coaching or be back in North America full time. He's got a, he's got a couple of young girls. And I, like I said, I think he's enjoying retirement. So I, I think he'll be involved in some way, you know, I think in hockey operations or, or have some kind of, uh, some sort of role where he's helping out, but, um, I, I wouldn't expect it to be too big of a role. Yeah, and you look around the league, and, and you know, the, the, the kind of guys who make good coaches tend not to be star players. I mean, Marty San Luis is doing really good work in Montreal right now, but, you know, it, I always go back to what Adam Burrish told me about Dennis Savard, and he's like, you know, Dennis Savard's like getting mad at him because he, he's not doing the play right. And he goes, well, I'm not fucking Dennis Savard. What do you want from me? It's hard for some of these, like, superstar Hall of Fame types to get on the same level as your kind of grunt work bottom six guy because they see the game differently. It just, it just came easier to them. So I'm not sure... Hosa is, is, is wired for that. I don't think he needs that in his life. Uh, I, I'd be intrigued to see him be a coach because he obviously understands the game as well as anybody. He was good at every aspect of it. But typically speaking, star players, you know, Wayne Gretzky very much included, don't make very good head coaches. Um, let's look back at the chat here. we got a whole bunch of questions. Question for Laz from Luke S. Will you ever put Scott or Tracy Myers, for that matter, on blast for mispronouncing Jomerson's name? Look. If Doc Emmerich, the greatest voice in the history of hockey, can say Jalmerson every single time he touches the puck, I'm not going to criticize anyone else. Besides, his real last name is Yalmerson. He just never corrected anybody when we butchered it and Americanized it. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave you on the. I'll, I'll take you off the hook on that one, Scott. Yeah, if, if he if you corrected us or if he had actually set us straight, then I, I'd feel different about it. But I, uh, I'm, but I. I, you correct me about so much other things that I feel like if you let me on. All right. Philip O asks, what sort of contract do you see Kirby Doc getting? This one's interesting because, you know, everyone's complaining about Kirby Doc and, you know, the vitriol is, is a little over the top in some corners of the internet as it always is. But the benefit of this, if you're the Blackhawks, is his next contract's not going to cost you a whole lot. And if you still believe he can become that really good, you know, maybe number two center, uh, 50, 60 point guy, good defensive forward, you might get a really good bargain on this bridge contract uh, just in time for when, you know, the team might start getting good again. This could wind up benefiting the Blackhawks because, you know, Scott, what's he going to get? Maybe, maybe, maybe two million, maybe. Yeah. Maybe something like that Strom deal we saw um, maybe closer to three or, you know, with uh, a decent qualifying offer that come out of it, you know, where the average is, it's a little bit higher for that second or third year. Um 
yeah, I guess that's the one upside. I, you know, like I think the Blackhawks would be a little bit better spot if Kirby Doc had been in a in a better place, and you know, contract wise, they're not in too too bad of a shape. Um, but yeah, I, it's it, you know, and the fact that you know, even with Reichel, like I know there's been a lot of talk about you know whether you burn the year or slide it, and um, you know, I, I think the Blackhawks are almost to the point where you know, Reichel having a, a year down. Um, and him being a little bit younger and his next contract may not, you know, that bridge deal might not be as bad or, you know, in the future, like it, 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 it won't be as costly. So um, eventually Doc's going to produce too. Like, I, I guess it's that, that following contract and the Blackhawks wouldn't feel bad about having to pay Kirby Doc in his third deal if he's producing because then, then he finally, you know, he clicks. So um, he's, he's 21 and, and obviously you kind of went through this on Twitter the other day, but um yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see his evolution from here on out because I I think people were I mean certainly a lot of people were concerned that the Blackhawks were going to have to pay Kirby Dock a significant portion of his next deal and you know pro- probably being a bridge deal and I, I would I would think it's in you know the Blackhawks and you know especially Doc's best interest is to sign a bridge deal here now and um you know kind of bet on himself for that, that third contract. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, let's go back to the audience. Uh, Aaron S., you are live. Hi, guys. How's it going? Good, man. Good. So I have a question about the the D-line. Uh, obviously, the uh, the massive argument is about whether Seth Jones is good. And thank you for dropping the card this morning, which says he's good, so I can get all the guys who I argue with to try to agree with me. But can we talk about some of the other D-men who are currently on the roster, particularly Jake McCabe? Uh, I, I know every, obviously every free agent signing has some risk to it, but that one so went off the rails. So that's question number one. What's your thoughts about Jake McCabe in the future? Because he's got three years left, I believe, right? And then uh, if you had to pick two of the defensive prospects over the next couple of years, do you think are really going to be in the lineup in two years? Who are those guys? The McCabe one's interesting. I, I think we all assumed that McCabe was going to be better than he was. Um, and maybe this is, you know, like he's coming off the knee injury. So I don't know if it's any of that. Um, you know, just talking to scouts and people who have seen his game before, who are more familiar with it, feel like he put too much pressure on himself and kind of snowballed. Um, and obviously as the season's gone on, it hasn't gotten much better. So I, I don't know if that improves or not, you know, maybe, uh, maybe he's more, more set to be a third pairing guy. Like I, I don't see them trading him. Um, you know, like, uh, it, it, they're probably going to, you know, him and Murphy and Seth Jones are, are part of this future, um, you know, Stillman, you know, with his contract, he's part of the future. So it, it does eliminate. Um, some possibilities. I, I don't expect Dobson back. Um, you know, who, who are those other people? Uh, you know, I think Regula, you know, the fact that they called recalled Regula right now and just the way that he's been playing in Rockford and, and you know, like they like that he's taking those those natural steps and he, he seems to be improving. 
Uh, I, I know they like Isaac Phillips a lot. And, um, you know, Ian Mitchell's had a pretty good year. Um, you know, they, they need some guys to fill some of those offensive roles. I mean, you know, as, as much as people do, like dislike Gustus and he is one of those guys who moves the puck. Do they resign Caleb Jones? Like that's that's a big one, too. So, um, you know, I don't expect DeHaan to come back. Uh, among the prospects, you know, I, a guy I wrote about today, Ethan Del Mastro, the Blackhawks really like, you know, that they thought he was going to be a shutdown defenseman and they, they kind of saw that in him at the, uh, the U18s playing for Canada. Um, and then, then his offensive games kind of come out too. So I, I don't think he's an offensive defenseman, but he, he has some traits where he can be more of a, maybe a two way guy can help you in some other ways. Um, and, and then, you know, th- there's a lot of guys that are similar that, you know, you know, Crevier and Velasic and, um, you know, the third pairing shutdown guys, there's some offensive guys like uh, Galvis, you know, who, who we saw early in the season has some potential. Um, you know, I think White Kaiser, they really like, and he's going to go back for a year uh, of college and, and Nolan Allen will probably go back another year in junior. Um, I, I think there's a lot of guys with potential. I don't I don't think there's any can't miss defenseman. And, and that's and I guess that's good and bad. And it sounds like Kyle Davidson's going to take the patient approach with, with these guys and see who kind of rises to the top. And um, so, uh, you know, I, I think McCabe and, uh, you know, Murphy and all those guys, these guys are here probably for the next few years where, um, you know, as they go through this rebuild and, and kind of take their lumps at times, I, I think those guys are in that initial lineup and they're going to have the other ones, the, the play major minutes in Rockford and see who, uh, who deserves a chance to play in the NHL. So I, I think the likes of McCabe, you'll probably see in the roster and in the lineup for a, a while here. And then as those other guys get ready and, and prove themselves maybe he's maybe maybe they just start overtaking him you know and maybe they start moving those other guys down the lineup yeah it's interesting you just mentioned so many different guys and you know none of them as as you said are can't miss prospects but really if you're trying to be optimistic here and i know that's difficult these days you need <laughs> what two or three of them to really become good nhl players i mean th- you mentioned probably nine or ten guys right now that should be in the nhl in the next let's say three seasons if two or three of them become pretty darn good players and you have Seth Jones at the top and, you know, I, I don't know, Connor Murphy and Jake McCabe, what their futures are beyond these contracts. You all of a sudden you've got a pretty good looking blue line. You don't need every single one to pan out. You need a few of them to pan out. And I, I think there's some optimism in the organization that they're more than just bottoms, uh, you know, bottom pairing guys. Um, but speaking of the defense, here's Max K in the chat with the big question is, would you undo the Seth Jones trade if you could? Now, look, um, I agree with Stan Bowman about one of his tenets, which was you need star players in this league. Nobody wins the Stanley Cup with a bunch of grinders. It just doesn't happen anymore. You need you need guys that can carry the load. The Blackhawks had a ton of those guys when they were winning cups, and you need star players. Seth Jones is a star player. You need a number one defenseman. He's a number one defenseman. Would I undo the trade? I would try to renegotiate the trade. I think it was a it was a they got the guy they wanted and they overpaid to do it. I don't think they needed to. I don't think. I don't think Seth Jones was signing an eight-year contract in any other city. I think the Blackhawks had more leverage than they believed they had. I think Stan was was maybe a little desperate to get Seth Jones and overpay, overplayed his hand uh, and overpaid. And I, I don't think you needed to give up two first-round picks, and that's, that's essentially what they did by moving from 12 to 32. That's You gave up Cole Sillinger there. Uh, I don't think you needed to give up two first-round picks and a number eight pick from a draft four years ago to get Seth Jones. They overpaid for him. Does that mean it was a bad trade? We'll find out in like five years. But getting Seth Jones was important. That was a good move. Even if you're rebuilding, he's going to be here a long time. The problem was the, the 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 mechanics of the trade. So would I undo the trade? No, but I'd hope to renegotiate it and get Seth Jones maybe in a different manner. Yeah, I think that's the problem. Like it's it's always going to be a bad trade. I think you know, like and then that's not even a fair reflection on on however Seth Jones plays. Like 
like, you basically traded three first round picks, three top 10 picks basically for, for Seth Jones. And as good as Seth Jones is, it, it's not, he's just not worth that much, you know, like, even protecting a top 10, like if, if you protected the, the 2022 draft pick in the top 10, like you just, you, you would have given yourself a little bit more. The Blackhawks just banked so much on them making the playoffs this season. And, and, and it seems so odd now that considering how far they're out of it, but uh, you know, with the Bowman and college and, you know, they thought about that team and, and, you know, and to be fair, we all, we all thought this team had a lot of potential and so did scouts. And we certainly did that so early in the season where everyone was optimistic. Um, but yeah, just to be so sure that they were going to take that jump, um, and to miss it so far, like it just, it just, it's, you know, to give Columbus whatever it's going to be now, sixth, seventh pick. Um, yeah, that's, that, that would have been the perfect launch, you know, launching point for, for a rebuild. And now, um, now, now Kyle Davidson had to find a way to make up for some picks and, and trading Hagel and, and probably continue to find ways. I wouldn't be surprised if there are more people that we don't expect to be traded, um, you know, done so in the next couple of years and, and trying to acquire more draft picks. And, um, they're just they're just behind the ball now in draft because of that deal and and certainly the fact that Cole Sillinger looks like he's legit too and he's already in the NHL like um, it all adds to it and and um, and, and they like Nolan Allen but he he wasn't someone a lot of people thought should have gone in the first round and um, you know and he's arguably not as you know like there there are other defenseman prospects that may be ahead of him in the pipeline too so um, yeah I, I Seth Jones panning out in the and and whether it's a good trade or not, I feel like they're just two different conversations, and it's 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 never gonna. I don't think it's gonna be any different regardless of how Jones is. Uh, here's Alan Kay with a question that I've been asking a lot: If Kane and Taves don't sign extensions this summer, they're eligible on July 13th. Will the national media and others make that a big storyline throughout the entire 2022-23 season, and how will that impact on ice performance of the team? Look. If they don't sign contract extensions this summer, I'm going to make it a big storyline throughout the next season because it's going to be the single most dominant storyline. This is going to be a bad team next year. And the two biggest stars arguably in team history are going to be lame ducks. Uh, it's going to be a huge story. And that's why, you know, I think what happens that July 13th through, let's say, July 20th, because remember in 2014, I think they signed their contracts on July 8th. So it was like seven days into the signing period, they signed it. If they're not signed by the end of July, that's a sign that they're not going to be signed. They're not going to get those extensions. And it just opens up that big question. Do you trade them over the summer? Are you going to keep them? Are you going to try to make a trade deadline trade out of them? Are you going to just wait and then sign them next summer and, and see where they're at, where their games are at? It's going to be the single most dominant storyline of the season next year. And I don't know if that really does impact on ice performance of the team. I think sometimes we overstate distractions. But I'm sure it's not going to be a barrel of last retaining Taves and Kane to be asked this question, not only in Chicago by us, but in every city they go to. You know, when they're in Calgary, you know, the Calgary people are going to be asking him about that. When they're in New York, the New York reporters are going to be asking them about that. It's going to be a storyline. Uh, if they're not signed, if there's no clear plan, if there's no we are going to talk to them after the season or whatever they do, if there's no clearly explicitly stated plan, it's going to completely overshadow the entire season next year. But here's the question: Like, what what would you do if you're the Blackhawks? What would are you if you're Kane and Taves? Like, I, I don't I think Kane you can maybe trade in the summer. I don't think you can trade Taves during the summer. Um, just based on the number, like even Kane's, like you may have to eat money. Like it 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 it's for people to find ten point five million. Um, yeah, I, there's so many different elements to like, you know, do the Blackhawks want them? Do like do they want to come back and and then at what price and um, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm torn on what the Blackhawks or, or Kane and Taves even want to do on this. Like it, 
does it make sense just to wait it out and kind of see where everyone is or how they feel? And the certain Blackhawks would certainly probably have more leverage uh, trade-wise if they probably kept those guys, I think, in trade until the trade deadline, uh, especially with, I, I, would, I would think with Taves at least. Well, what would be really fascinating to me is if they would sign Kane to an extension and not Taves. That would be another yeah. like that because they've they've signed matching contracts every single step of the way. They've always been the same, and we know they're not going to get the same kind of contract next time. But can you imagine if they extend one and then tell the captain, "Yeah, sorry, buddy, uh, we don't see you as part of the future." <laughs> I mean, that might be a sound business decision. I have I don't know yet. If you can get Jonathan Tavis to be your number three center for say four million dollars a year, I still would jump at that. He's been decent this year considering everything he went through he's had stretches where he's kind of looked like man he could still be a really good number three center if he's willing to take the the ego hit that comes with signing a much lesser contract like a two or three year deal worth you know four million a year if i'm the blackhawks i jump at that he's still really good with young players he could still be your captain through this mess and like you said he's gonna be really difficult to trade but it would be fascinating if they pick one over the other uh what that would do to you know the, the the relationship between the two players, the, the 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 narratives around the team, it would just be a fascinating situation. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, it's gonna be. I, I, and and, and I'll, I'll mean, those guys may just you know. I, I I still think that Taves. I can see Taves ending up somewhere else. You know, like with Kane. I, I don't. I feel like I feel like the legacy stuff part matters and and finishing in the top of those lists. Taves. I don't know. Taves has obviously been a lot more vocal about. Um, just the rebuild and, and you know his place in it, and, and he's certainly gonna you know like if next year the next few years are really tough, like he's he's still the one answering questions, and if the locker room's open, we're, we're certainly going to Taves and asking him those questions. So how how much how much does he want that? How much does he you know like where where he's at in his career and trying to get back to you know physically? Like yeah, I, I'm I'm curious what they want to and um and you know Kyle Davidson hasn't kind of really stated exactly what what his plan is either, so it'll be a uh, yeah, this, this summer will be interesting. I, I think Taves really is grappling with that right now. I mean, he's a little bit in public when, you know, when he talked to me and when he talked to other people about it. And he just, I don't think he knows what he wants. Being the, being the captain of the Chicago Blackhawks means an awful lot to Jonathan Taves. But, you know, he's at a stage in his career where I don't know that he wants to do this. And I don't know if he knows that he wants to do this. So uh, he, he's, he's the really interesting one to me because, you know, like I said, Kane's still an all-star player. Taves is something else now. He's still a useful guy and he's valuable in the room and everybody loves him. But does he want to sit here and do three, four more years of this just not winning stuff? He is. I don't think he has made up his mind on what he wants for his future yet. And I think that'll go a long way towards determining what they do. Here's a question from um, Marie S. Regarding King, so many podcast articles state how good he is with young players. But a few minutes later, is a list of him throwing players under under the bus. What can I do and hope they're uh, well, what can I do? And I, and I hope they're ready. He needs to go, in my opinion. Like I appreciate that the King is honest. Like he's, I don't know if he's throwing people under the bus, but he's, he's just honest about where the players are at. And I don't, he never does it maliciously. Like from at least sitting in the room and sitting and talking to him, like it's, it's more of a realistic view. Um, and he and he puts a lot of onus on himself. And I don't think Carlton always do that, or, or a lot of coaches always do that. I. I Considering what's what's ahead, and and there was another question that there was a question about expectations and what fans should expect the next few years, and I, I think that's like fans need to come to grips probably that this could be they, this could be a bad team for a few years where it could be really um, I, I don't foresee them going out and signing anyone or making some big deals. If anything, they're going to actively get worse to 
um, you know, improve, uh, improve their draft stock and, uh, you know, get some prospects and, and maybe even create some, you know, take on a bad contract to get, to get more assets. So I, I think, I, and I think, you know, just having covered King for now, you know, for most of the season, like he, he handles these situations well. He makes it light enough and he, and he puts enough accountability on himself and his players where it's not, you know, like it's not always just fun and games, but I think the mood's going to have to be light for the next years because it's going to be about development and, um, and, and it, yeah, the focus just is not going to be on the games. Like it, it felt like this season dragged on forever and it, and it honestly could be a lot worse next season if they're, if they're out of the race even sooner. So, um, I was skeptical whether King was the right person, but I, you know, the more and more I covered him, and I, I think you sort of agree with me that he seems to make more sense now. Well, yeah, I mean, you're not looking for the, you know, you're not going to bring on, you know, I'm not saying it's certainly better not be a Mike Babcock or anything like that, but you're not going to bring on a Stanley Cup winning coach at this stage of the rebuild. This isn't the job that that, like you brought Joel Quenville in right when they were on the doorstep of something great. They, they had Dennis Savard to kind of hold down the fort and let the young guys play and keep the mood light. And then when it was time to take that next step, that's when they went and got the new coach. Just like with uh, the Cubs, you know, there was it was Rick Renteria for just kind of holding the fort down for a couple of years until it was time for Joe Madden to come in and take him to another level. I think that that's one way to look at this. And whether Derek King is the guy or not, the next guy is not, probably not going to be the coach four years from now, if and when this team gets good again. It's going to be a placeholder. It's going to be a transition coach. And you know, you know, why not Derek King? I guess is the question you have to ask. He's a he's a guy the players like playing for. Um, I don't think it matters what he says with us. I think it matters what he says to the players, and the players all seem to really like him. I think he does work well with the individual players. He lets Mark Cropper be bad cop, and he's good cop. There's a dynamic there that works. And you can, you know, what you need to determine is, is he giving them the tools to become better players? Is he teaching them? Are they improving? Is he putting a structure in place? These are the questions you have to ask. I don't think the fact that he's, you know, uh, quietly honest with the media is – that's not the issue here. The issue is, are you getting the results you want on the ice? Is he developing players? And that's what the Blackhawks have to decide, not whether he's being a little too honest with us in, in the press. I don't think anybody, when it comes down to it, really cares about that. It was interesting. I asked him today about, you know, when he came in, he talked about how he didn't want to overhaul Carlton's system. And, they, and they've made some tweaks with neutral zone. And and now that, you know, the defensemen don't chase, chase uh, you know, chase players as high in the defensive zone. But and I asked him, you know, if you get this permanent job, do you see other adjustments? And and he said he did, you know, whether it's the neutral zone or just, um, you know, the coverage. Like there's different things that I think if he's the permanent coach um, that I, I think that there, there's some things that he'd like to implement. And, and he's and he's talked about, too, about being a rookie coach and and having to make some adjustments. But the fact that Blackhawks trusted Derek King in, in Rockford, I think, says a lot about what they think about him developmentally. Like uh, whether whether he's the right NHL going coach going forward. Like yeah, beyond the rebuild. Like yeah, I'm not sure. But the fact that they trusted him so much with what they were doing in Rockford and developing players, like I think it speaks a little bit to how the organization felt about him and the fact that he was there under, um, you know, he was under their under multiple coaches there, and you know, he, he was dating back to uh, you know. Uh, Ted Dent, he was an assistant too, so they obviously liked what he was doing at Rockford. So I, I, you know, like we don't get the full picture sometimes about development stuff, and um, but you know, just the fact that he's been there for so long, I think it does, you know, indicate the Blackhawks have liked, you know, what he does for players and how he can develop him, and and all the all the players who come up from Rockford usually, you know, spoke pretty highly of him too. So um, from that standpoint, it, it seems like he would make sense. But yeah, like like to your point, whether he's the coach beyond that, I, I think it's something he'd have to prove and. I do still think he, you know, he leans a lot on Mark Crawford and 
um, you know, just these other assistants too, that it's, uh, like it, it's a positive in one way that he's leaning on those guys for advice, but you know, maybe it's something he takes on more of a responsibility himself going forward too. All right. Here's Angelo a, how safe is to I feel like he's the single piece holding a lot of fans together, myself included. Um, <laughs> it's a good question. It's a, it's a fair question. Cause look, I'm naive about this stuff. I, I, I think I, you know, I always default to here's a really good young player. You would be stupid to get rid of him. And I, that's generally how I feel. Like you, you developed Alex Zabrinkit. You, you were the one team that took a chance on them, and he's great. He is a great all-star, all-world caliber player, and he's 24 years old. But he's going to make a lot of money in 2023, 24. He's going to be a, an, an eight-figure AAV. And you know, we don't know where the Blackhawks are going to be in two years. Are they, are they going to want to do that? Are they going to think, you know what? We don't have a lot of prospects. We don't have a lot of picks. Here's a guy who can get us some of that. I'm not, I, I don't think they trade him. I certainly wouldn't trade him, but I really do feel that all bets are off at this point. Like anything seems possible or at least plausible. I mean, when we're talking about trading Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, let's face it, we're talking about literally anything could happen here. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I, to bring it would make sense to keep, yeah, for sure. I, yeah, I, I, I'm just, at this point, I, I don't know if anyone's really safe, you know, like it's, I think Jones's contract makes him safe, and um, yeah, beyond that, like it's if they could get more than they for for Debrinket, they feel like it's worth in the future than he is now. Um, I, I think they'll listen. I, I think uh, you know it, it. You know, is he more tradable if they get a contract done and, and there's a set price, or you know, like maybe it's harder if if he doesn't have a contract going into the trade deadline. Um, yeah, it's. I, this this whole off season is gonna be like it, it'll. There, there's so many moving parts to this still. Like it, you know, for them not to trade Kubalik or Strom, who I don't think they want. Um, now what do you do? Like you do you just walk away from them? Like it, it seems it seems harder and harder just to walk away from Strom, um, based on his production. Um, but I don't know if Davidson, uh, you know, if he wants to sign him for you know his qualifying offer, or if you're trying to create a spot. You know, if you if you do sign Taves, like what does that do with your center depth? Like what does that mean for Doc and Reichel and uh, and, and Strom? So I, I think there's so many different dominoes that can fall in place. Um, yeah, with the Brinkett, I, I think it's one of them too. Where I think the Brinkett continues to get better. Like it it would it would seem odd to trade him, but um, in a rebuild, like if it's a true rebuild, I think anything should be on the table. If if you're looking, I, I guess it depends on what your timeline is. If it's five years from now, then if the Brinkett gets you back multiple first round picks, you know. Uh, prospects, maybe, maybe Davidson, maybe Davidson thinks about it at least. All right, we just uh, one more question here from Nick C. I see Patrick Kane is an obvious trade target to the Rangers. Do you guys agree? Everybody's always talking about that. <laughs> he wants to be reunited with Panarin. I, I get it; it makes sense. And I, I believe the Rangers' cap situation is, is is actually pretty friendly right now. Um, I'm not entirely certain of that. I don't profess to know everything about every Eastern Conference team, but um, I, I feel like people are just making that assumption just because of the Panarin connection. And I'll tell you this. <laughs> the one player in the league that I believe Patrick Kane wants to play with the most is actually the other New York team is Matthew Barzell. He, when he talks about Matthew Barzell, there's like little hearts in his eyes. You can like see it. It's like, like if, if he really has control over where he goes, if he goes, he would have a lot of options. There'd be a lot of teams that would do well to add Patrick Kane to their top six, you know, kind of the way Florida added Claude Giroux this year. Um, but, you know, just, just the Panarin connection isn't necessarily enough. I mean, do the Rangers have a prospect pool? Do they have picks that are going to be appealing? I mean, 
if you're trading Patrick Kane, you're expecting a King's ransom and the Blackhawks aren't going to trade him for nothing because even, you know, he's too valuable to the organization on and off the ice right now to, to let him go for an underwhelming return like the Flyers did with Claude Giroux. So, uh, it's an interesting idea. Everyone wants to see Panarin and Kane back together. I get it. But Artemi Panarin alone is not enough to single-handedly steer a player to the Rangers, I'm just saying. It depends on when they trade him, too, right? Like, if Kane doesn't sign and, you know, like, there's no contract extension coming, then, yeah, the Blackhawks, they'd be motivated to move him at the trade of the line. Like, if you can get most of the season out of Kane and people come into games and, and he's still what drives the audience. Um, and he doesn't plan on resigning, then yeah, there's no reason you're not, you're probably not motivated to trade him any sooner unless someone is coming with a huge package. And then you just wait until the deadline and, and get what you can. And I'm still, I'm sure that there would be plenty of people who would overpay for a cane of the deadline. You can add for a few months. And even if they weren't to resign them, that, you know, I mean, you look at what the Blackhawks give up for Andrew Ladd or those type of players that, you know, came to the deadline for, you know, as that rental for the last, last month or two of the season. Will certainly draw a lot too so yeah it'll you know it just it, it's like if, if they don't resign them then the conversation kind of moves to why are they going to trade them and then when and then at the deadline yeah it, it should be i i think the on ice product next year might be uh probably not a whole lot of fun to to watch or to write about but there, there could be a lot of drama off the ice and it, i think that's where maybe there'll be a lot of interest next year is, is so it's what happened i'm tired of off ice drama scott i would have on ice drama <sighs> so it is um, on that uplifting note, we're glad that you're all here. We're glad that you're subscribing to the Athletic. We're still churning out stories. We got a couple of big projects here before the uh, the season ends, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us, asking questions, and we appreciate you reading. So, uh, yeah, for Scott, I'm Mark. Uh, thanks for joining us. Take care. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.